For I've had enough of this world and its pleasures. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. I will arise and go forth to the house of my father. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. House of my young. Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject the modern history of Israel. This is part four of the series. In the spring of 1967, following a vast military buildup of Russian equipment, Nasser again closed the Gulf of Aqaba to Israeli shipping and demanded that UN observers withdraw from the demilitarized zone. By May the 17th, seven Arabic nations had mobilized armor on three fronts, broadcasting their intentions to cut the Jews' throats. King Hussein of Jordan decided to join the fray, collaborating with Iraqi troops. He hoped to seize the Islamic shrines in Jerusalem for his Hashemite kingdom. When Nasser blockaded the Straits of Tehran and closed off the Israeli port of Elat, he prevented Israel's only access from the Gulf of Aqaba to the Red Sea and from there to the Gulf of Aden in the Arabian Sea, and it meant Israel's access to oil from the Persian Gulf was cut off. The blockade, considered an act of war by Israel, was provocation of the First Order. Israel had already notified the UN Security Council that it would soon have to act in its own self-defense, but the the UN failed to enforce the conditions of the truce that had existed since 1956. Israeli generals Yitzhak Rabin and Moshe Dayan foresaw that surprise was their only hope. The preemptive strike was decisive. In 170 minutes, Israel's pilots had smashed Egypt's best equipped air bases and had turned 300 of Nasser's combat planes into flaming wrecks. The Egyptian Air Force, the largest in the Middle East, was in ruins. The same scenario was replayed in Syria, Jordan, in Iraq. By nightfall of June the 6th, Israel had destroyed 416 planes and 393 on the ground. In two days, the Egyptian army in the Sinai was virtually wiped out, leaving Israel to occupy the Gaza Strip. To the north, after a desperate and costly tank battle, the Syrians were routed and the strategic Golan Heights was taken. Thus ended the long nightmare of Syrian bombardment of Galilean villages. Israel was now more secure on her northern border. In the battle with Jordan, Israel gained control of the West Bank and the old city of Jerusalem fell into Israeli hands. By gaining control of the West Bank, the cities of Bethlehem, Hebron, Jericho, and Shechem, as well as Jerusalem, came into Israel hands. For the first time in 1900 years, the Jews had control of the old city of Jerusalem. These territories proved to be an ideal bone of contention for the Arabs, leading to further conflicts that would dwarf even the monumental 
fundamental battles of Israel's first 20 years of nationhood. From the 1967 war, then we have the 1973 Yom Kippur War. On October the 6th, 1973, on Yom Kippur, the Arabs attacked Israel once again. In the third and fourth days of the war, Israel began to win the war. First, Israel was able to defeat Syria in the north. By October the 18th, Israeli troops headed toward Damascus. In the battle with Egypt in the Suez, Israel gained the upper edge over Egypt. By October the 23rd, the Israeli army was at the Gulf of Suez. As a result, Egypt and Russia demanded that the UN Security Council require Israel to pull back to its pre-1967 borders. The 1973 Yom Kippur War highlighted how imported Arab oil had become an important political and economic issue in understanding the present Israel-Arab conflict. The world economy depends on imported Arab oil and the Arab oil producing countries decided to use oil as an economic and political weapon to influence world opinion against Israel. On October the 17th, 1973, Arab Petroleum Ministers met during the Yom Kippur War and decided to cut oil production and exports. It was under the facade of the war crisis that the Arabs seized the opportunity to launch a drastic escalation of oil prices. Libya announced on October the 18th that the cost of its oil would go up 28%, irrespective of the war in Israel's misdeeds. Iraq thereupon declared a 70% price rise. Kuwait matched this figure. Members of the European Common Market took immediate measures to placate Arab oil barons, making new demands on Israel to give up the occupied territories. Thus, an oil-thirsty world forced Israel into a diplomatic ghetto. Though the Arabs suffered a devastating loss in the Yom Kippur War, they discovered a powerful new weapon and found themselves in the driver's seat of the world economy. By a simple turn of oil valves, they could further the goals of Palestine. As a result of Israel winning her war of independence and her succeeding wars against her Arab neighbors, the Arabs living in Israel did not have a country of their own. They called themselves Palestinians. Following the 1973 Yom Kippur War, the Palestinians became an increasingly important political issue in the Israel-Arab conflict. Since the creation of the Arab states, the Palestinian people have been mistreated by Arab states and have had bad relations with many of them. During this time, Arab leaders have fought among themselves for the title of being the leader of the Arab world. By not having a state of their own, the Palestinians have been used by the Arab world for their own political purpose and as a political weapon against Israel. While the Arab states all recognize the Palestinians as their cousins, only Jordan was willing to take their refugees. The Palestinian Liberation Organization, or the PLO, was actually the brainchild of Gamal Nasser of Egypt. The PLO was first organized in Cairo in 1964. Its founding document is the Palestine National Covenant. This declaration rejects the Balfour Declaration of 1917, the UN Partition Agreement of 1948, the Jews' biblical claims to the land, and it denies the right of the Jewish people to have a nation. The covenant has been revised several times over the years, but it still contains the vehement anti-Jewish sentiments of the original document. It insists that all the territory of the nation of Israel properly belongs to the Palestinian Arabs, and only those Jews living in Palestine prior to the Zionist invasion can be regarded as legitimate Palestinians and thus allowed to stay in the land. Nasser sought to promote an underground forum for the Palestinian people. This was first called the Palestinian Liberation 
Liberation Army, or the PLO. Chosen as leader was Ahmad Shakari, a puppet of Nasser, who set up headquarters in Cairo. The express purpose of this organization was to allow the Palestinian people to play a role in the liberation of their country and their self-determination. The Arab leaders who set it up, however, had other designs for the organization. They intended to make it an instrument of guerrilla warfare against Israel under their control. They had no intention of creating an independent Palestinian movement. Six years before Nasser created the PLO, Yasser Arafat started his own group in Syria to liberate Palestine. Then living in Kuwait, Arafat and a handful of revolutionaries created a military organization. They called it the Palestinian National Liberation Movement. In Arabic, the initials spelled out Hataf. They turned the letters around to spell Fatah, which is a reverse acronym of the name of the movement in Arabic. The word Fatah means conquest by means of jihad or Islamic holy war. So I wanted to share with you this historical information because it is the perspective among the peoples of the world in the image of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict that we get from our media that somehow there was a Palestinian people who had a state of their own prior to June of 1967 and that somehow Israel were the aggressors and now they're trying to take over their state. But the reality is that it was the Arab world who rejected the UN partition plan of 1947 did not accept the United Nations two-state solution, went to war with Israel in 1948, lost. And so Nasser of Egypt in 1956 tried to start another war against Israel to defeat them. And then there was a coalition of Arab states in 1967 who simultaneously waged war against Israel. And prior to the June 1967 war, the West Bank was under the control of Jordan. And following the 1967 war, the people who called themselves the Palestinians or the Palestinian Liberation Organization, which was seen as being the spokesman for the Palestinian people, of which Yasser Arafat became its leader, then they presented the thought or the image that they were just trying to reclaim land that was originally theirs. But the historical facts are is that the Palestinian Liberation Organization was created by Nasser in Egypt in 1964, three years before the June 1967 war. And its goal and intent was to liberate Palestine. In other words, to not acknowledge the Jewish state and ultimately try to defeat it and drive it into the sea. And so even though the Palestinian Liberation Organization was created in 1964, that following the June 1967 war, they took upon the opportunity to try to make claim that the West Bank is a part of Palestinian territory and Israel or the Jewish people were occupying their land. So the Palestinian Liberation Organization tried to claim the West Bank as their land 
even though the organization was started in 1964 before the June 1967 war. So part of the purpose that I would like to achieve by sharing with you an understanding of the modern history of Israel are these facts, because without knowing the history, the image that is portrayed of the conflict, especially through Arab propaganda, is completely different and framed completely differently than the historical facts suggest. Now we're going to give you some history regarding the PLO, Fatah, Yasser Arafat, and how he became, after starting a movement in Syria that became known as Fatah, to engage in guerrilla military tactics in the name of Islamic holy war against Israel, how he ultimately became the head and the leader of the PLO. From his earliest years, Arafat was engrossed in liberation tactics, devising terrorist activities against the Israelis whom he saw as invaders. As he and his cronies began the Fatah, they saw themselves as the generation of revenge, seeking vengeance for the loss of Palestine. Originally, Fatah opposed the founding of the PLO. By 1969, Fatah had become the largest guerrilla group affiliated with the PLO. At that year's meeting of the PLO's executive body, the Palestinian National Council, Yasser Arafat won the complete control of the PLO. When Arafat took over the PLO, the organization reverted to cell groups developed by its Fatah members in Syria. First, it was basically a guerrilla organization that worked underground apart from the national armies or agencies. Its single purpose was to evict the Israelis from the land and to set up an independent Palestinian state, not one in tandem with Jordan or any other Arab state. Second, it intended to achieve its goals by armed conflict, using infiltration and terror to drive out the occupiers of the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. In December 1987, the Palestinian patients ran out and long pent-up feelings were suddenly unleashed with stones and homemade bombs. This uprising was known as the Intifada. It quickly spread through the Gaza Strip and the West Bank. Most irritating to the Palestinians was the Israeli settlement of Jewish communities in the West Bank. Through the Intifada, the Palestinians have looked to the world media to dramatize their fight against Israel. By being successful at this, it has forced Israel to rethink its policies regarding the settlements in biblical Judea and Samaria, or the world refers to it as the West Bank. Following the 1967 war, two different schools of thought developed among the Arabs concerning their dilemma of what to do with Israel. With the increased territory Israel gained as a result of the war, it was believed impossible to defeat Israel by conventional means. The first school of thought held that since it was no longer possible to defeat Israel by conventional means, then there was no choice but to make formal peace with the Jewish nation. This view was held by Anwar Sadat of Egypt, who accepted Menachem Begin's invitation to help negotiate a settlement with Israel. The peace treaty called the Camp David Accords was drafted in late 1970 and it was signed in early 1979. The second school of thought held that since it was no longer possible to defeat Israel within her existing boundaries, then the course of action should be to first reduce Israel to the pre-1967 borders and then destroy her. This view was officially adopted by the PLO at their 1974 conference in Cairo. 
It was formalized in a document known as the Phase Plan. Dr. Aaron Lerner, a Middle East analyst, summarizes the goals of the PLO's Phase Plan as follows. First, to establish a combatant national authority over every part of Palestinian territory that is liberated. This is Article 2. Second, to use that territory to continue the fight against Israel. That's Article 4. And finally, to start a pan-Arab war to complete the liberation of all the Palestinian territory. That that's Article 8. Now, looking at the PLO phase plan destruction of Israel, it was adopted at the 12th session of the Palestinian National Council in Cairo, June the 9th, 1974. And the text of the phase plan resolution is as follows. The Palestinian National Council, on the basis of the Palestinian National Charter and the political program drawn up at the 11th session, held from January the 6th to the 12th, 1973, and from its belief that it is impossible for a permanent and just peace to be established in the area unless our Palestinian people recover all their national rights and first and foremost their rights to return and to self-determination on the whole of the soil of their homeland and in the light of a study of the new political circumstances that have come into existence in the period between the council's last and present session it resolves the following number one to reaffirm the Palestinian Liberation Organization's previous attitude to UN Resolution 242, which was passed by the UN Security Council in 1967, which obliterates the national right of our people and deals with the cause of our people as a problem of refugees. The Council, therefore, refuses to have anything to do with this resolution at any level, Arab or international, including the Geneva Conference. Number two, the Liberation Organization will employ all means and first and foremost armed struggle to liberate Palestinian territory and to establish the independent combatant national authority for the people over every part of Palestinian territory that is liberated. This will require further changes being affected in the balance of power in favor of our people and their struggle. Number three, any step taken toward liberation is a step toward the realization of the liberation organization's strategy of establishing the democratic Palestinian state specified in the resolutions of previous Palestinian National Councils. The Liberation Organization will strive to strengthen its solidarity with the socialist countries and with forces of liberation and progress throughout the world with the aim of frustrating all the schemes of Zionism, reaction, and imperialism. The Executive Committee of the Palestine Liberation Organization will make every effort to implement this program and should a situation arise affecting the destiny and the future of the Palestinian people, the National Assembly will be convened in extraordinary session. The PLO has decided that it would be acceptable to get rid of Israel in stages and the means by which doing this would be trading land for peace if it couldn't be done all at once, meaning by war. Arafat has publicly told his followers on numerous occasions that the Declaration of Principles signed with Israel in September 1993 known as Oslo 1 is actually a part of the PLO's phase plan destruction of Israel. In November 1994, in a speech marking the celebration of Palestine National Day, Arafat said, What has been a dream has become a reality. In 1974, the Palestinian National Council decided on establishing a Palestinian authority on the first piece of land from which the enemy has withdrawn or that we have liberated. The PLO has threatened that if Israel doesn't exchange land for peace, that they will continue the struggle to liberate Palestine by any other means. 
Hamas and Islamic Jihad are part of the war by other means, by the PLO against Israel. Because of the success of the Intifada or the Arab uprising in protest against Israel having the West Bank areas as well as other lands that it obtained in self-defense in the June 1967 war, world public opinion is demanding that Israel compromise with the PLO and trade land for peace. Prior to the disengagement from the Gaza Strip in August of 2005, the chief rabbi of Haifa, Rabbi Shir Yeshuv Cohen, came to Jerusalem and pleaded with Israel's Prime Minister Ariel Sharon to reconsider his plan to retreat from Gush Katif, which is an area of the Jewish communities in the Gaza, which involves Israel's obliteration of the 21 Jewish communities there, including 325 thriving Israeli farms and 86 synagogues and Jewish study centers. Sharon's answer to Rabbi Cohen was this, this is what the U.S. State Department is demanding that I do, and as a result, I must do it. Now, in Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, it describes the day of the Lord as it is written. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens greatly, even the voice of the day of the Lord. The mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day, that is the day of the Lord, is the day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. And so, in speaking about the day of the Lord and the things associated with it, it speaks of the following. Zephaniah chapter 2 verse 4, for Gaza shall be forsaken. And so, in August of 2005, this is what happened, that Israel, through the leadership of the Prime Minister at the time, Ariel Sharon, decided to uproot Jewish communities in the Gaza, in effect, forsaking the Gaza. So, I believe this is a part of the fulfillment of this verse, but there's more to the verse than this, as the verse goes on to say, For Gaza shall be forsaken, Ashkelon a desolation, they shall drive out Ashdod at the noonday, and Ekron shall be rooted up. Now, Ashkelon, Ashdod, and Ekron are communities or cities along the Mediterranean coast, along with the Gaza area. So, Zephaniah 2.4 is prophesying about destruction along the coastland of Israel along the Mediterranean Sea. So, the world is advocating that in order to solve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, that the way to do it is to trade land for peace. When the British made a commitment to Haim Weissman to work for a Jewish homeland, which came under what is known as the British Mandate, and through that came the Balfour Declaration in 1917, as we have seen from the history that's been presented here, the Arabs protested, and Britain then decided to give around 80% of the land that was to be designated for a Jewish homeland. It was given to what was called then Transjordan, which means across the Jordan, or it was the land across the Jordan River, but now the trans has been dropped from the name, so it's just now called Jordan. So, in effect, land was given for peace. And so, the Arabs then tried to defeat Israel and the Jewish people militarily. They tried to prevent Jewish immigration. Well, that's going to conclude part four of 
the series on the subject, The Modern History of Israel. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts. In order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others, we are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details. Our website is hebroots.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you. Please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and... Please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries, P.O. Box 81, Strasburg, that's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio, 44680. Until next time, may Yeshua richly bless you.